join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. I grew up in, we moved all over. My mm -hmm. dad worked for um, Energy. He was the environmentalist, so we were nomads. But I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans East was like my first home. Okay. Um, that's where all my family is from on both sides. My dad's from Ecuador. Uh, he's from Waikil, Ecuador. Um, I'm first generation American on my dad's side. Uh, my mom uh, came from a giant Sicilian family. Um, and both my mom, very loud. The only way you get heard is by at the dinner table is who's gonna, who talks the loudest is who get, gets heard. Sure. Um, so I've never been told I'm a quiet person and I don't think I ever will. Yeah. And I just found a way to turn that into a, a positive. Sure. Um, but when uh, um, I was about, I don't know, maybe about five or so, a little bit older than that, we ended up moving to Texas for about four years, moved to a little town called Lumberton. Uh, but still, when we moved there, and then we ended up trying to get back to New Orleans, the closest we could get was Denham Springs, right side out of Baton Rouge. And even still, like, I never really got the Baton Rouge culture. You know, I never was big on LSU at first for a really long time. Right. Because weekends would come, we'd get out of school, we'd pack up, we'd go to New Orleans. So I was still, you know, we'd go to Saints games all the time. So even though we didn't live in New Orleans, mm -hmm. um, I was always in New Orleans. Yeah. So I very much grew up on the Mardi Gras, the Saints, the, you know, just, you know, that culture feels sure. feels most home to me. It wasn't until I got into like my 20s and, you know, started having, you know, adult friends and started going to LSU games and kind of, ah, okay, I get what this is about now. Right. I absolutely love uh, Spanish Town and LSU games, and um, and I've been we've been living here since I was about eleven or twelve. What was the cause for the move in the first place? Um, my dad, he worked for Energy. It used to be um, so it was strictly job related. Yeah, it was. was it he worked for Nopsy. So when the when Ener when it got bought out by Energy, mm -hmm. there was a, a layoff and you know consolidating different jobs. So we had to go to Texas to avoid that layoff gotcha. and just kind of take the job where you could. Um, my parents could not wait to get out of Texas. I loved it because I was always outside, but there was there was one school, there was a donut shop, a Dairy Queen, one neighborhood, and one apartment complex. That was it. Yeah. And for fun, it was let's let's go to the Circuit City in Beaumont. Yeah. Okay. So they were so used to living in the big city growing up. Yeah. Um, it was just very isolating, I think, for them. Sure. And they were just, you know, not built for, for that. Um, so, um, you, you were we, talking about your own culture shock. Think about theirs. Yeah, we, Texas, we so. moved out because from New Orleans, we ended up moving to Covington. And then from there, that's when we moved to Texas. And the Covington move, it was they wanted to build there. 
big house and sure. all that. Um, and then, um, yeah, that was, I really think, I mean, I was little, but I really think that was just a big culture shock for them. Sure. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I kind of understood that. Because mm-hmm. um, it was kind of bouncing around, you know, leaving friends, and that's where my focus was as a kid, you know, yeah. completely self-absorbed. Well, um, so opposite end of the spectrum, as far as your mother's side and your father's go, uh, opposite ends of the earth, I should say, not really the spectrum, but South America and uh, Sicilian, what kind of music is, is there? Is there a cultural diversity in the house with the music playing? So I knew you were going to bring up like music in my family, my background. Absolutely. Um, I'm a stubborn little kid. I couldn't, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket when I was little. I was terrible at singing. And my parents, like, I grew up listening to, I think my favorite song is More Than Words by, uh, by, the, by Extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being in Covington, being like a little kid in the backseat of my parents' car, listening to that song. That and a lot of Eric Clapton, a lot of James Taylor. Okay. Um, nobody in my family was really musical except for my mom's sister. She, when I, w- I remember being little and seeing her with a, a little amp and a little microphone or, and a guitar, and she, she's probably one of the most eclectic people that I know. Um, and that's, that's my nanny Allison and uh, my godmother. And uh, she was a stand-up comedian when she was younger. Went mm. from that to owning um, like a preschool <laughs> to being a singer and just kind of doing everything and out. She works at an elementary school. She's a, a gym teacher. Yeah. And um, that was really like the biggest musical influence that well, I had far, when I was little. You're, you're speaking as far as performance or just Any, music that you heard? It, my, again, like my parents listen to like my dad. I love my dad. I know he'll probably see this at some point. But in my dad's office, I remember going to like the energy building when I was little. We'd love to ride like on the dry race board and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but in the background, you know the, the music you hear in the elevator? Yeah. So my dad listened to for fun. Okay. Um, it was smooth jazz. Um, and as far as what my mom listened to, as far as music, I know she loved her record players. She loved her, like we always had a big old, my, my granny is old record player in the house. And she would listen to, to older stuff, which I think is where, I don't remember the specific music she played on it, uh-huh. but I have this love for um, for vinyl um, and for all the old music and the pops and the cracks that sure. you, know, you hear in it. Uh, and a long sound. And I, again, I don't remember specifically like what she listened to, No. Um, but I know that I loved when she would take out the records and, and put them on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't a very music-filled house. I mean, it's not that they disliked music. It just wasn't very much like a in the forefront. I don't remember them going to many concerts sure. or you know stuff like that growing up. Um, it was they were the we're gonna go rock climbing or spelunking or whitewater okay. rafting. Yeah. Um, they were about those outdoor experiences. I think I went camping for the first time when I was a couple months old. Mm-hmm. So it was more like get outside, get in nature, listen to the peace, you know, sure. try and find that quiet. Mm-hmm. In your dad's defense, though, the girl from Ipanema was a great track. I don't know if you're familiar. That originated down there. <laughs> you said Fernando? Ipanema. Ipanema oh, the girl Ipan- from Ipanema. Okay. I thought, yeah. I, I don't know. My dad's name is Fernando, and they had a song called Fernando. Oh, okay. That, um, 
he said he grew up and, and I think he came out in the 70s or something. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He said when that song came out, everybody, everybody sang it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but um. So okay, so uh, you move away, you come back, and uh, the whole time, would you say you were more drawn to music than some of the other members in your family? Yes. And how yes. many how many children? How many siblings did you have? Uh, one. I have one sister. Okay. She's six years younger than me. Um, and I just I don't know what it was. I but I was the I remember going when they had the um, costume contest in um, City Park, um, and you get to dress up. And I was just dressed as a witch. It wasn't anything spectacular. Sure. But they were doing a costume contest. I was about four years old. I remember I went up to them and I'm like. Hi, my name's Erica. This is my address. These are my parents. I just want you to remember me. And apparently I got honorable mentions because of my outgoingness, I sure. guess. Yeah. It wasn't, it was, music was kind of that vessel that got me there, but I've always had that, I just wanted to do something that mattered, something that stood out. Sure. Um, and I'll, again, I was not the greatest singer. I remember being in sixth grade and <laughs> I went to St. Jean Vianney in Baton Rouge, um, small Catholic school. And I remember getting up and singing, rocking around the Christmas tree in front of my class. It was terrible. Yeah. The kids laughed. It was, oh, no. it was awful. I remember the seventh grade class was like peeking in the window and it was, it was awful. And so how did that impact you though? I mean, obviously at the moment negatively, but um, did it really resonate, it, or did you say I'll, it didn't, I'll try again? Though that's the thing, it should have. Right. It should have, but I was like, okay, cool, we're gonna keep doing this again. Yeah. With, <laughs> um, the um, what is it? The flea market out in Gonzales. Um, they used to do, uh, Prairieville or Gonzales, wherever it is. They used to do like a, um, karaoke contest. Uh -huh. Get up there, and I belt my little heart out, and that was terrible. Yeah. And I just, I think I'm more stubborn than talented. Like now when people say, oh, you know, they're like, oh, you're in a band? Oh, well, do you sing well? I tell them, no, I don't. I'm just really good at pretending. Yeah. I'm just stubborn. These, so these initial experiences that you had, you really enjoyed the act of performing. Right? Yes. Did you notice anything else that was going on while you were performing? Oh, I was very aware. Like I. So Even now, when I'm on stage, I I'm like you know, I don't see the crowd as a whole. Yeah. I'm looking at individual experiences. Okay. I'm Even back at then, facial, you were doing this. Yes. I'm as I'm singing, as I'm whatever it is talking. I'm watching these faces and yeah. I'm seeing these reactions, and that's kind of how I gauge. Okay, well, maybe I should do this or more than sure. this. So more than it discouraging me, it was more of a learning experience of okay, well, what can I do better? And At no point it dissuaded you, though. It was just, no. it was just it helping should you have. along. It should have. Well, I wouldn't say should have. I, I think for many it does make them question themselves. But instead of questioning yourself, you were questioning the art, just kind of hone like, your okay, skills, well, you know. Yeah. Right. What like, I, how what do I, I get better? Sure. And then I remember very, very specific. So we traveled a lot because my dad, because what my dad did for a living, he was environmentalist. He traveled all over, you know, the southeast, and so we went with him a lot like stay you know whether it was you know we would go stay at family's house or you'd go with him to the hotel and you know there's so many hotel swimming pools that 
you know, I sure. remember as, as a kid. And we were staying in one hotel, and I remember my mom was getting ready to go somewhere. She was washing her hands or something, and I was, you know, in... I, when I was like 12, I brought a little bit of Texas back with me. I loved Leanne Rimes when I was little. I loved Leanne Rimes because she was young. Sure. And so I love Leanne Rimes and Charlotte Church. And because it was, it was a lot, it was really relatable as far as somebody who's young, who can, you know, have these big, powerful voices. Mm-hmm. And because I always sung like, way up here. And just kind of that nasally voice. And it was this one time and that's what kind of clicked with me is hey you can do this mm-hmm. is i started singing something um and my voice dropped down and i started singing more in like a if, as soulful as a 12 year old could be you okay. know this kind of more a little bit deeper of a voice than i'd ever really used and it was just like a parrot i would mimic yeah um and my mom comes around the corner she goes wait what was that was that the radio i was like no mom that was me she goes no and so i and she's like it was a different tonality that i had than i had ever used and she was like oh and i think it clicked with them too because right not long after that they started putting me in voice lessons and so i realized i don't sing up here i sing vocal range yes yeah um i i definitely have more of an alto um, and uh, like those influences as I got older were more Etta James, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, and that had a lot, I didn't know that I liked all that until I met my, met my first voice teacher. Okay. Um, and she made me so mad because I wanted to sing all these pop songs, you know, contemporary stuff, stuff that I knew. Right. And she's like, no, you're going to do Stormy Weather. Um, I think it was Bobby Brown, like the original, like Storm. And no, you're gonna do this for your first concert. And I'm so upset yeah. because she gave me the CD of all these Gershwin uh, songs. And by the time I was done, I was just absolutely in love. And it's kind of like I found that little place where I was most comfortable. This was also at 12 years old. Basically. Yeah, but yeah, between like 12 and and 13 is uh-huh. kind of kind of when all that happened. And how long were you in uh, voice lessons for? On and on and off. Um, when I, then I ended up studying at LSU through some vocal coaches. And I remember um, uh, through those vocal programs, they're like, no, 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 you don't need to sing here. It's gonna make you tired. You need to sing up here. Uh-huh. So I would try and to me, it was just exhausting. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, I mean, I know you have to work on your vocal range, but it wasn't natural for me to sing in that head voice, sing way up here. Was it coming from a different place in your body? Yes. Yeah. It felt like singing, singing here, singing here. And then when I would, you know, sing more in that alto, more that blues, it like just, it was, it more came from my heart. Yeah. Which, um, again, you don't understand the whys that you feel that way until you're older, but it's, there's a, there's a difference in singing rehearsed music and then singing from your soul. Sure. And, um, that's something that, you know, you learn about yourself as you go. So I think what's really cool about music, about the arts, um, is that you're really not so much you're learning a talent, you're learning and discovering yourself. Mm-hmm. So it um, kind of takes on, you start it as one thing, it takes on you know, a whole life of its own. That's what I was thinking to myself while you were talking about earlier on in your life, um, because what you were drawn to, like James Taylor and folk singers really, um, isn't what you wanted to sing and what they made you sing to begin your lessons wasn't either one of those things 
And so, uh, I mean, I think it's good. It's it's good to have many influences and, and kind of peruse all the different styles before you settle in on one yourself, especially starting so young because you're still trying to find your voice, your vocal yeah. range and things like that. Um, and honestly, uh, when we first started talking, I was expecting to find out that with the diverse, the cultural diversity in your family, I was expecting to find out that that had a major influence to, to one end of the spectrum or the other, um, Latin or, or uh, Sicilian, but uh, you Just remained wait, untouched yeah. through all of that. Um, I, growing up there wasn't much like Spanish music in the house. I know uh, like uh, I've listened to some of the stuff that my grandparents listened to, like the old uh, the older, my grandparents, my dad's parents, both my mom's parents passed away. Uh, my granny, I think, was 94 when she passed away. Um, and that was 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad's parents have been married for almost 70 years. Um, they're both in their 90s now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like some of the most vibrant people I've ever met. So I've, I've, I've grown up listening to some of their stuff. But like in our house, um, there was such a big culture difference between my mom and my dad that I remember my dad trying to teach me Spanish when I was little and I got so frustrated. And because there weren't two Spanish speaking parents in the house, I learned some, but I didn't learn, like I can understand what people are talking about. Right. But um, I'm, not, I'm not fluent in it. So there was, my, my dad came here when he was little um, and um, there was a lot of immersion into you know the American culture. Um, my grandparents made sure that they, you know, that they held on to their roots, but it was, you know, there was a lot of gratitude. My grandfather came here before my grandmother and my and my dad, and um, you know, it took him, you know, a couple years to get things built up here before he could even send for them. Did you sense that they were anxious to kind of fly under the radar as far as where they came from originally? Uh, I, I, what 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 was the genesis, I guess, for the disappearance of the culture over time? I, I it's so. It's assimilating into where you are and fitting in, and especially that's back in the 50s. Yeah. You know, you want, you know, and I can't speak for them because, you know, I can only, you know, imagine or, you know, surmise, but, um, like, our last name is Gaye, but um, it's it's Cali. And right. that's the, you know, I guess the American way of, of saying our last name. And it, you know, that's, they, they adapted. Uh, my grandfather came here, he worked, they were both pharmacists in Ecuador. When they came here, their degrees didn't transfer over. Right. So they had to start all over. My grandfather worked three jobs and went to school at night and got, you know, became a pharmacist. He worked for K and B, nice. um, I think, for close to forty years. Um, and like more than culture, more than music, he taught us the value of hard work and determination and all of those things that, that kind of, he taught us more than culture, he taught us education mm -hmm. and how important that is, but not just how important that is, but how fortunate we are to have that opportunity. So that was, that was the most present thing I think growing up uh -huh. with my dad was no, 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 you need to, you know, you need to be grateful for the opportunity to have an education so you need to work the best that you can um, because not everybody has uh, is so lucky right. to have the opportunity that was that was the that was kind of um, 
one of our main, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mantra, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was just uh, kind of one of our core values in our homes growing up was education is a privilege. Yeah. Um, and if you want something, it's not that it's unattainable. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to work really hard for it. Um, and, you know, my dad ended up, you know, my, my grandparents, you know, instilled that in, in my my dad and my aunt, his sister, and she ended up being uh, a doctor. She's one wow. of the, she's a phenomenal, she's one of the smartest people I know. Um, and my dad ended up um, being really successful in his career as well. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, uh, they kind of imparted that on us kids. My aunt had two kids and my mom and dad had two kids. And it's just whatever it is that you want. Mm-hmm. Like they've never to, oh, well, no, you need to do this or this. My grandparents, as, as strict and as hard as they are when it comes to great, you know, school and education, they're probably my, my abuelita, my grandmother is probably one of my biggest champions as far as music. Mm-hmm. And then my mom's mom, um, you know, you see these old school, you know, these old school values. But they were both my grandmothers were so. Um, like they were my cheerleading section, still are yeah. when it comes to music. It's what do you need? You're, fin- you know, like what can I do to help you? Like they're just still so supportive. Yeah. So you can see that that when it came to their kids, when it comes to their grandkids, it was um, how can we help you feel flourish? How can we help you be successful? Yeah. And then that passed on to my parents. My parents are like they they're right there in in that cheering section. They're, sure. Hey, we're so proud of you. There's never Did been that one surprise moment. you though, because they were going the professional route. You mm-hmm. wouldn't think that they would be elated. Um, some people's parents don't appreciate the idea that they want to go mm-hmm. be in a band as opposed to being a CPA. You know, and we're talking about two different two completely in yep. life. Um, when I was younger, I took it for granted a lot I was just like oh well these are how my parents are like they would come to every practice every performance yeah uh, they were they were right that what do you you know it wasn't until I was older that I realized how rare and how lucky I am to have the parents that I have gotcha um my dad's my best friend yeah uh my mom has the biggest heart and she would do anything for for anybody that's great and it you know I'm, I live in this little bubble and it mm-hmm. wasn't until I was an adult that I realized not everybody has a family like that. Sure. And um, but I mean, I, as a result, there was no getting you out of this. <laughs> Once it started, <laughs> um, it wasn't. I, I got in my own way. I got in my own way when um, when I was younger. I was a mom very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I was a mom at sixteen, and uh, everything stopped at that point. It was your mom now. Right. Go to college, get a job. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I really, like right before I was in my 30s, I was in a not so great situation. Um, and I just, I had buried myself in complacency and just what you're supposed to do. And oh, right. you're supposed to work this job and do this and do this, that I realized like, I'm not enjoying my life. Yeah. And if my kids don't see me happy, you know, I realize how often do I really smile? And that I'm a role model to my kids. And if I want to be the role model that my parents are for me, then how can I say that if I'm not following my dreams and what drives me? Yeah. And um, ended up 
getting back into music when I was right about 29, 30. How long of a break was that for you? A long time. Um, almost 10 years. Okay. In between there, um, I uh, did audition for The Voice and made it to the second round. I remember my dad drove me all night to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> it was like, a, hey, we're doing this. Yeah. You want to do it? Cool. Let's get in the car. Let's go. And um, we spent the weekend out there. I ended up making it to the second round. I was sick before we left. And I was... Sick with nerves or... No, like sick. I had a cold. Oh, okay. I had a bad cold. And um, it's something that I've struggled with ever since then because I'm stubborn. And when you're in your 20s, you think you're invincible. Sure. And so, oh, well, I'll power through it. And ended up uh, doing the audition, ended up blowing my voice out. Oh. Uh, I went to the to the vo uh, to the vocal doctor um, not long ago, and they said I have vocal scarring on my right vocal cord. Um, and they're like, I don't know when. I was like, I know exactly when it happened, because after that I wasn't able to sing for about a year or two. Sure. And after that, I just kind of like I, I had no like I, I could not get couldn't I, I had no no voice anymore. Um, I would get hoarse when I would barely speak. Um, Thought, okay, well, let's just let it slip, you know, you'll be okay. I couldn't sing for a really long time. And uh, it was devastating. So I buried sure. my head in life and tried to put it behind me. And a lot of depression came from that. Um, and then not just from that, just life. It's, I ended up gaining a lot of weight. Um, I, uh, I've lost about 160 pounds. Wow. Um, when I was younger, I used to just be small. I always took that for granted. But, yeah. You know, and um, after I had kids, I, you know, not taking care of myself, you yeah. know, not paying attention, just working and. Well, like you said, you don't realize it. You don't realize it. Comes it comes on slowly. Until somebody shows me a picture from from an office party, and they're like, "Oh, here," and I'm like, "Who's that?" And they're like, "That's you." And I'm like, "No, it's not." <laughs> and I ended up weighing about over 300 pounds before I realized. Wow. Oh wait. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until um, I stopped working that job, started working as a bartender, as a as a waitress, and was forced to walk to Be on move. Your feet constantly. That I started losing weight. Realized, oh hey, this feels better. Let's sure. keep on that track. And I ended up um, losing about forty pounds. And then um, with one of my best friends, she was getting married. She started a diet, and I started doing it with her. Lost about ninety pounds in a year. Wow. And it was like that's when I started finding myself again. Started sure. getting that confidence back. I've been in. Um, uh, some abusive relationships and had lost my voice in more than one way um, you know and like I said when I was younger I never listened to anyone when they said you know oh well you shouldn't you know oh you're you know or people's reactions it was just no I want to sing when I got older you know you lose that magic when you were little when the whole world is completely possible there's a lot more to consider there's a, you're more naive as a child so it's easier to be stubborn like you said or but when you get in a relationship you give your heart to someone and that person tells you yeah hey you, you, you don't sing well take it as the word yeah it was you look stupid when you sing you're terrible at it wow. you need to stop yeah you have no business doing this um that i let People like that steal my voice. Mm -hmm. That on top of then damaging my voice later on, it was just like, okay, well, I guess this just isn't meant for me. And that caused a 10-year break, you said? Yeah, between that and, and, and damaging my voice, about sure. about a 10-year. I started getting a, a few years in, I started doing like some karaoke. 
you know. How long was that after the voice competition? Uh, about two years um, after, so around 2013. Mm -hmm. um, were you testing it out along the way yes, or anything? Yes, I would do karaoke sometimes. Okay. With like, we'd go out with friends and um, it was, oh hey, so I would get up there and I could do one or two songs and then my voice would give out. Oh. And it was just a, okay cool, this is just a fun little party trick now. You know, I, I had done all these vocal lessons when I was younger, I had definitely expanded my range and um, for one or two songs, I, I could, you know, belt Whitney Houston. I could, you know, hit some Mariah Carey notes, you know. Okay. I, but then, because I didn't take care of my voice, because after I damaged it, I didn't go back to square one with vocal lessons and yeah. trying to take care of it again. I just kind of, you know, um, I would do one or two songs and I'd be spent. Yeah. Um, but then um, I... Uh, when I lost all that weight, I started gaining more confidence in myself, started kind of, okay, let's do this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got into a, a relationship that I thought it would be really great. You know, what you're supposed to do, domesticity is, you know, when you get almost into your 30s, this is where you're supposed to be, right? This yeah. is, you know, you're supposed to have this stable home and, uh, you know, this um, family unit for your kids, for, and I thought, okay, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, happily ever afters aren't fairy tales. Sure. Um, so you kind of settle for what's the least crappy option. Right. And you convince yourself that you're happy, even when you're not. Yeah. And that's how you fall into abusive relationships. It's without realizing, how do you boil a frog? Yeah. You know? Slowly over time. Slowly yeah. over time. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, crap, and then you can't get out. Yeah. And that's what ended up happening. Um, and I just felt like I was drowning all the way around. And I was doing karaoke. And um, some of my friends came up to me and said, hey, look, you have a good voice. Thinking about starting a band. Do you want to join? I didn't think about it. I was like, yep. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> um, I started, you know, getting a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger with my voice. Just Yeah, I know. would think that it'd be a... a you probably did the best thing unknowingly by kind of taking it one little step at a time, you know? Yeah, it gave myself the rest that I needed. Um, but what I should have done is the second I wanted to get back into it was go back to the basics and go back into vocal lessons, which is actually yeah. where I'm at right now because I still have problems with my voice, um, getting exhausted and tired out uh -huh. way too easily. And um, uh, speaking with the, with, uh, uh, voice doctor she's like you know what it's not really your singing voice she goes it's your speaking voice mm. you need to learn and I'm like but I talk all the time I'm I'm an expert at that she's like no you need to like your tonality and where she's like do you get tired when you talk I'm like yeah she's like I've never thought I'd have someone tell me that you know when it comes to speaking that I need to learn how to do it better <laughs> right especially now where you came from where you grew up right yeah so uh, that brings us back into re-entry and um, the band that approached you uh, after the karaoke was the band that you're in now? No, um, that was a group of people that, that I worked with um, and it was, it was a good band but I didn't know how to advocate, advocate for myself. Uh -huh. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. Um, so it was, you know, and um, I'll always be grateful, you know, um, to that but you know, for kind of bringing me back in there. But 
I didn't know to advocate for myself when it came to, okay, well, no, I can't do it in standard. I need to, I didn't, I, I had done some st- back, I had done a lot of choirs growing up. I had done okay. some studio work yeah. um, growing up. Um, and because even through those 10 years, there was still, you know, if there was something, I, I would try and sit, like, dip my like toes in the water sure. and, and then just get discouraged if, you know, okay, well, I guess I can't do that. Um, but I didn't really understand a lot about the live music industry. Um, I was, again, always kind of in this little bubble. So you join a band and it's live stage, you know, it's live practices. It's, um, and I didn't know what to ask for for myself. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. So when a song was in too high of a key for me, it was, hey, can we, nope, this is guy, this is, this is what we're doing it in. I had to adjust my voice to them rather than adjo- mm. adjusting the music. Sure. And I burned myself out really, really fast. Really fast. In the middle of that, I'm dealing with a domestic situation that was getting more and more violent and um, more and more intolerable. Like, it was just getting to the point where I just, I was drowning. Yeah. And so all of these things kind of all at the same time. Um, I was with that band for about two years and I learned a lot. Um, but I learned a lot about how to adapt to being in someone else's band. We kind of created that band all together, but it wasn't as much of a partnership as far as like, I didn't know to speak up and use my voice <clears throat> to, hey, look, this is what I need. Um, I don't think anybody, I don't feel like you were the, the uh, what do they say, the, the square peg in the round hole. I, I, it probably, they would force anybody out like a splinter until they realized what they were doing to themselves, you know? So between that and at home, you kind of, that was reinforcing the same situation basically in two different ways, so. I remember being in that band at the beginning, and again, I'm not, I won't say the name of the band because I'm not trying to, Sure. you know, um, but I remember one of the musicians in that band, I didn't know not to put them, I mean, when I tell you I was green going into this band, Mm -hmm. you know, to cover my hand with the mic and it would cause feedback or bring the mic down and it would cause, it was a learning, and I remember one time uh, when he covered the mic and he said, if you do that again, I'm yanking the mic out of your hand and you will not use it again. And you know, it was just very, there was underlying tones of, Negativity and yeah, it's a bit much. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, it, I, I like, I would leave so many shows just crying. Yeah. Because it was, it wasn't fun. It was okay. Well, if you're not, you know, you get the, the looks if you did something wrong. It just wasn't. Yeah. You know, and that again, I learned years. so much, and so I learned so much. So I'm grateful. So I'm not trying to, but it, it taught me what I didn't want. Sure. Um, but there were some really, really good parts too uh, of it. So it w- wasn't all negative. I just, it was a learning experience in a different way this time. But I was dealing with negative there and I was dealing with negative at home that I kind of imploded. Um, the relationship ended really badly. Um, and when I got out, I had to get out. And um, I advocate for, for women and men um, to speak up because it's not okay. Right. Um, and even if you, if you get that 
something in your head that says, hey, it's not okay, it's not okay. Even if somebody's gaslighting you, telling you that you're being dramatic. That no, 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 this is, no, you, you should talk, I mean, look at the life that I've given you. You should be able to tolerate that, you know, okay, so, so I'm um, somewhat of an asshole to you, but look what you get in return. Yeah. That's not okay. Right. It's not okay. In any off. aspect of your life, whether it's your yeah. job, whether it's your hobby, your passion, your life, even if it's, I've learned, you know, toxicity, even in your family, just because it's your blood doesn't mean you can love someone from afar. Sure. You don't have to put yourself and your family in situations and around people um, that bring any kind of toxicity or negativity in your life. And people don't speak up for themselves the way that they should. Well, like you said earlier, it comes on slow and they don't realize what's happening. And sometimes it's too late. Or you're brought late, up in it. You know? Yeah. Or you're brought up in it in your family. You think this is normal, right? And you think that, okay, well, this is, you know, how this was in my family. So, yeah. okay, well, you know, that's how it is. And, you know, when I find it, well, I guess that's normal. You know, it's just the things you tolerate. Nothing Oftentimes in life Sometimes that happens. Yeah, nothing's perfect. So it's it comes down to people start thinking in the terms of, what can I tolerate instead yeah. of what do I deserve? Yeah. And going from that to where I am in my life now is literally night and day difference. Yeah. Um, and it's so just- Obviously you, you were the cause for you leaving the first band because it wasn't a, a comfortable atmosphere. It wasn't conducive to your growth. It was, it was a combination of things for the reasons that I left that band. There was very, there was a, Again, I don't like to go into specifics because I'm, I am a very much a believer in, especially in the music community, you build each other up. Sure. You don't, you know, oh, when you talk to a venue, oh, well, don't hire that band because da da da, or you, you don't, you don't do that. Right. Um, but there was drama, uh -huh. to put it mildly, within the band and then the extended band family between that and then things ended so badly with um, with my ex that um, when I got out, I had to get out. And I remember just crying my eyes out in the car. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I have, I can't do this anymore. So the two kind of went hand in hand. It went hand was, in hand. Okay. It went hand in hand. All right. Um, uh, and <clears throat> it was also intertwined that um, it was, I always say that relationship that I was in, I was, we were together for five years. I mm -hmm. say I was in the relationship for two and I spent three trying to get out of it. Yeah. Because when you tell somebody I don't want to be with you anymore and they turn your credit card off, they take your keys, they take your phone and they tell you, go ahead and walk. Good luck. What are you going to do? Yeah. At that point, you're no longer in a relationship. You're, you're a prisoner at that point. Yeah. When you try and walk away and they either don't let you or they make it so impossible for you because it again boiling a fry it's okay um all right well your car's broken now let's get you a new car oh we'll put it in my name since i since you know you're at home with the kids oh well let's get you a new phone but let's put it in my name since i already have a plan you know it's oh well, let's join our bank accounts together oh you go pick out a house you know whatever you want but we'll put it in my name because you know suddenly you don't realize all the powers in somebody else's hand until you turn around and you you're like no i don't want this anymore yeah. and there is no way out um so it was if i'm getting out of one thing i'm getting out of it i i have to walk away from i felt like i was dying 
Yeah. I have to get away from all of it. <laughs> and uh, so I did. I walked away from everything. And it was hard. It, I, it, was, it was devastating. Um, leaving as much as, you know, that relationship was not good. That was the home that I lived in. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as the band wasn't healthy, it was doing something that I loved, getting up on stage and singing. I had finally found that again. How am I going to walk away from that? Right. Um, but you have to advocate for yourself. And sometimes you're put in situations where you ask, you know, you ask God for, for help, for an answer. Sometimes you're not going to get that answer the way you want it. Sure. Sometimes it's shoving you off a cliff because you have a hard time walking out that door by yourself. So it's okay. Yeah. Good luck. You'll be all right. And your next, um, I guess, foray into music was? Was into Petty Betty, into the band that I'm in. Okay. Um, So the band that I was in, I played with, um, we we kind of switched musicians. We brought more people in uh, in the previous band. And we ended up with a drummer, uh, Christopher Lyons. And he's probably the best drummer that I've that I've ever worked with, um, because again, yeah, um, kind of going into playing live music on stage, I, I did studio work. I did work with you know choirs and stuff. I wasn't used to percussion and drums, and I just thought all drums sounded you know like drums. Yeah. And uh, getting to know the different tonalities of um, how different musicians played. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements. But on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we like to shout out our members. Today, I've got a band hailing from Lafayette, Louisiana called 99 Summers. That's Summers with a Z. They draw inspiration from bands like Slipknot, Corn, Five Finger Death Punch, Machine Head, Gojira, Lamb of God, etc. And they see themselves representing the voodoo metal genre. Now, they're still a fairly new band, just starting to make waves in the metal community. In lieu of an album release, they have nine singles currently streaming. This was an intentional decision because of how fast music is released these days. They also have two music videos out, and that link will be in our show notes. They plan on hitting the road around April of this year. I asked them about their decision to pursue a career in music, and they had this to say. Music is supposed to be a reflective art. People listened because they were going through things and felt as though a particular song or musician understood what it was like to walk in those shoes. That connection was lost in mainstream music. We wanted to bring that element of music back to the forefront. We wanted people to know that they could still have a voice in our music. I thought that was a compassionate thing to include. They're on TikTok at Official 99 Summers, and they have a cool line of merchandise at BlueBioDesigns.com. And here's an example of their work. So hey, check it out, y'all. back to our show you know when we would have a fill-in oh well this guitar player play you know it's learning all those ins and outs of how different musicians play it was something i'd never really paid much attention to and when we started working with chris um i absolutely loved his drumming style and we got to be friends and um 
as uh, he was dealing with difficulties in his relationships, I was dealing with some in mine, and we became friends. And when I left that band, we became closer friends, mm-hmm. and we ended up um, we ended up talking, and we ended up we ended up dating. And um, I remember we were nope, but nobody really knew at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Tony Busby, um, uh, the band Downfall. Um, he called up Chris and he was like, hey, you know, um, I'm thinking of starting a new band. At this point, uh, Chris was still playing with the previous band, but because we were talking, they were giving him a lot of pushback, but it was not a great situation. So he ended up, he ended up leaving. Um, and uh, Tony had called him up and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting a new band. I want to do something different. Would you be interested? And Tony is uh, in Louisiana. He's one of the most talented uh, guitar players uh-huh. that I've had the opportunity to work with. And um, to get a phone call from him to ask, hey, do you want to be in a, do you want to start a new project with me is, sure. you know, it's, it was unexpected. And it's, you know, um, he asked him, and I remember we were sitting next to each other and he asked him, hey, and Chris was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and he said, do you, do you still talk to Erica? You know, kind of looked over at me. He's like, yeah. He's like, do you think you could get in touch with her, see if maybe she would want to do vocals, see if she'd be interested. And he's How like, about that? <laughs> and I could hear him and he's like, do you want, yep, sure, let's do it. Um, so what we kind of did is we picked from different bands. Um, we started out with uh, Tony Busby from Downfall, Adam Hollowell, who is, uh, he did rhythm and, um, and male vocals, um, kind of um, a savant. I've, this, he he um, worked at Allison's World Music and could play almost any instrument that you would, you would hand him. Wow. Um, What's he doing him. in your band now? Um, he, he ended up having to move away oh, about wow. a year into it. He moved uh, to Florida and I think now he's in... Mississippi, Alabama, um, but then uh, T. Mike Galliano uh, from, he was in a band called Scary Lane, 80s mm-hmm. like hair metal band, plays bass, um, a character. Yeah. They're like, I don't know, you can't take a bad picture of this guy, like he poses, I mean, he's just, he's not just a phenomenal musician, he's just, a, just great, like genuine, like you can't be around him and not be happy. And not be laughing, um, and then uh, and then Chris on drums. So we started out with five people, mm-hmm. and um, we just we practiced for about a year before we even had a show. Really? And just worked and worked and worked. Okay, what do we want to do that's different? What do we want to do that makes us stand out? And we we're coming up with names and all kinds of stuff. And I came up with all we came up with some really off the wall names, and. Um, I have always loved Betty Boop, Betty okay. Page, um, Betty White for her personality and sarcasm, and um, I've always had a love for like the old Gershwin, and always have wanted that idea of like dressing up and all that stuff. Sure. And never had that opportunity. And like, what if we did something like? One of my main things is I want us to stand out. I want us to stand out. Do something to where when people see us, they know exactly who we are. And somehow, Petty Betty kind of and. You know, everything was, okay, we have an equal membership in this band, equal partnership. And for the very first time when we had practice, and I was like, oh, well, and they're like, no, 
Like what, what works best for you? And it was the first time I'd been asked that question. Yeah. In those last two years that I worked with the previous band, the very first time, no, 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 you're our singer. We have to take care of your voice. What works best for you? I remember T. Mike, our bass player. Yeah. You know, uh, he calls me little sister. No, little sister, what's best for you? Mm-hmm. You know, um, we can move keys around. And they are so patient with me because we'll start off something. We play everything about half a step down. And I'll, I need to be a full step down. I'm sorry. And so they'll relearn it and do it. I'm like, no, wait, hold on. That, you know, because it, it comes down to, especially with having a deeper voice, it's I need it to be high enough to where I can, you know, grab those notes, but low enough to where I'm not blowing my voice out. Right. And I've never worked with such a good group of people that That's are just great. Yeah. so patient with me. I'm so grateful. It makes all the sense in the world. You're shooting yourself in the foot if you're not doing that because the singer's not going to have the vocal range of every instrument you know what i mean so it makes sense to find where you're comfortable where you can cover it best you know and it's and night and day hang difference. the elements around it you know yeah. and it's just it's night and day difference i've never like i to, we've been together now for four years uh-huh. and every time we get together for practice i look around at these guys and i'm just so thankful and so grateful every time they're willing to change a key or okay cool we'll go over it again or okay yeah we'll relearn it i'm just the gratitude that i feel and every single person has an equal voice mm-hmm. we're a family we are we don't just play music together we hang out together you know we've um gotten to be friends with the why all of us together so for so long after adam left the group it's just been the four of us it's been tony t mike chris and myself and then uh t mike and Tony's wives, um, and then me and Chris. So it's been the six of us. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, six. I don't know how to. Went to school in Louisiana. I don't know how to count. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been the six of us for so long that we go out of town for a show, and it's just we're, we're, we get together on the weekends and you cross sure. the We're just we're family now, and uh, um, for the longest time, just been the four of us. And then in the last couple months, uh, T Mike's. Uh, See Mike Galliano, he's from Galliano. Um, he speaks with this thick Cajun accent. I joke around with people because they're like, oh, is he from Australia? I'm like, yep, way down under Australia. <laughs> way down under the bayou in Australia. Yeah. And um, he introduced us to um, the newest member. Ironically, his name is Adam as well, mm-hmm. Adam Como. And his dad is a really well-known keyboardist down in Bayou, you know, and um, See, Mike took, kept telling, just give him a shot. This this guy can sing. So yeah. he came out to a show a couple months ago. But get up on stage, show us what you can do. He opened his mouth, and I'm just. I mean, he's the, he's the sweetest guy. Um, he uh, uh, I didn't I didn't expect not in a bad way. I just, you know, I just did not expect it. He opened his mouth, and Allison James, Chris Cornell, he had this belt to his voice mm-hmm. 90s alternative rock can hit those high high hot and just out of nowhere just blew us all away so wait he's getting on stage to audition sort of uh as a keyboardist or a vocalist <laughs> so it i've been saying for a while i was like my voice is still getting tired you know i need that little bit of a break um doing four hour shows we like to play three hours without a break because I find you break that magic 
You mm-hmm. lose that. You engage that crowd. You want to keep building it up and keep building sure. it up. Keep building it up. If all of a sudden they're up here having a good time and you're all right, guys, we're taking a break. Then suddenly that's everybody's cue. Or you know, during a four-hour show, a lot of bands take two breaks. You know, two like fifteen-minute breaks or so. Right. That's uh, normally that second break is when people are like, all right, cool, time to go. We want to keep people having fun, but also keep these venues kind of having people there as long as possible, enjoying themselves, you know. Yes, it's fun, it's a show, but it's also a business. Yeah. You know, they're hiring us to bring in, you know, to, to keep people enjoying themselves all night long. Um, how do we do that? So that's kind of where we try and do things a little bit differently too. We think about ourselves and what we need, but we um, kind of market ourselves as a really easy to work with band mm-hmm. uh, because we talk to our venues and um, our couples that are getting married, you know, when we're doing festivals, what do you want? What do you need? How would you like us to work the show around your needs? Um, and kind of, you know, each show is just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so doing a three hour straight through show, it's exhausting. Absolutely. And um, this year of practice, excuse me, this year of practice that preceded the first performance with Petty Betty, um, I would imagine that y'all are amassing a catalog to be able to run or hold the stage for three to four hours at a time. Yes. And you came out the gate doing that? Yep. And that's where we didn't want to, cool, I know all these songs from the band I was in before, Mm -hmm. but everybody does these songs. Okay, cool. You know all these songs that your band does, but your band is still an active band. We're not trying to, to just copy all those songs. Okay, well, you're from an 80s hair metal band. I can't hit those notes, so. Uh, so it was, we're pulling all these musicians from all these different awesome bands, but we don't want to pull from all those set lists. Yeah. Now, starting off, yeah, and right now we're kind of in that revamping, um, now that we're bringing somebody else in, cool, we can do all these new... Um, it definitely widens your range. Widens your range. your capabilities, you know. Yes. Yeah. So, but coming out the gate, we wanted to say, we have, we're, we, we're not just limited to a one hour, or we can be an opening band. We want to come out the gate as a, what I did was, because I ended up becoming frontman and band manager. Um, so I handle all the day-to-day, I handle all the booking. So when we came, when we started, mm-hmm. we already had three or four months of shows booked up. There wasn't, okay, well here's Petty Betty, one show and then you don't hear from us for two or three months. Right. It was, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna make sure that, okay, we like this band and then y'all get to keep seeing us. Yeah. And we keep our faces present sure. and our band name present. Uh, so we made sure rather than um, kind of staggering it out, just get everything that we need together first. And and we did really, really, really well for the first year and then COVID. Um, and we were, we had gotten ourselves in a place where we were going to be doing festivals all the next year and we were going to be, we had worked ourselves, I mean, in a, in a year's time when we came out and started playing, uh-huh. we did, and that's not a trying to pat myself on the back, but we exceeded our expectations as far as um, bigger and bigger gigs mm-hmm. and getting, you know, um, a bigger and bigger following. And it was humbling. And right when everything was gearing up for the following year, then... COVID. Yeah. Uh, we had someone reach out and asked us to open up for a show that um, 
you know, at the beginning of 2020, we had someone reached out to us, asked us if we wanted to open up for Brett Michaels. They were going to be doing a show mm-hmm. in, um, <clears throat> in Louisiana. And hey, would you want to be one of the opening bands for, for Brett Michaels? I'm like, yes, that would be great. You know, um, a lot of bigger opportunities and then everything just shut down. Yeah. And uh, even though it did, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm stubborn. I um, don't believe in can't. I don't believe in no. I believe in how hard do you want to work for it. Yeah. And so even during that, I didn't let that stop. I talked with all these venues. Hey, what are you doing? You know, can we do a live stream? You know, let's bring some attention to your your venue. Even if we're not um, getting in front of a group of people, let's say, you know, you, you have your staff that's still coming in. Let us play for your staff. Let's keep that morale up. Let's do a live stream to where people can watch this. I remember our first live stream, my dad was um, nice enough to let us do it in his backyard. He's got a, um, one of those, you know, the twinkly lights and the big patio sure. out back. And I remember we had to go door to door, knocking through the neighborhood. Hey, we're going to be doing this show. You know, it's going to be loud for about four hours. And I remember looking down the street and everybody had their lawn chairs in front of their driveways. Nice. And everybody came out and kept their social distancing yeah. and you could just see it it broke up that just sadness that was going on that just kind of yeah. hopelessness and that scariness <clears throat> and um i used that time to connect with not just different venues but a lot of musicians and connecting them with different hey look well hey we can't do this now but do you want this band to do a live stream here and just trying to keep everybody still connected keep yeah. that music alive and i really feel very passionately about um embracing each other in the music community i've never believed in oh well you know oh well this this is something that that i work for i'm not going to help you with it i don't believe in that sure um i think we are all a community and if we stick together then um because i do believe um not everyone but some places and some people, have, I remember one, there was one place where we went to book and we're not all about, you know, it's, it's, it's about the love for music, but at the same time, if this is what you do for a living, you have to be able to cover the gas to get there. You have to be able to cover, sure. you know, you're in, it's at the end of the day, it's what we love, but it's also, we've created a business. Mm-hmm. And there's one person that said, no, 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 we don't want you here because X, Y, Z, we want someone who just wants to come in, sit down, and play for the love of music. And I respect that too. Um, but I feel like nobody sees the behind the scenes of what it really takes to build this livelihood that musicians try and build for themselves. Right. And there's so much more to it. And I think that, um, that it gets undervalued a lot. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you ask $200 for a gig, you're not asking, you know, oh, come play for four hours. You're not just asking them to come and play for four hours. You're asking them to come and set up an hour and a half before, to tear down an hour and a half after, to get a babysitter, time away from their family, the gas money that takes to and from to drive there, the practice that they spent all week to work on these songs. And I think that um, working within the music and the venue community, um, building those relationships help each other to understand that value, you know. And we understand the value of, of our of our venues, of 
our families that, hey, we want to have a party. You know, we try and work within whatever, you know, yeah. their means are because we understand, too, like your time, your money is valuable as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think that staying in touch with each other and kind of setting your own personal standards as a band um, helps to inspire others that maybe question the practice. And it's important that everybody have a, a, a unified front to a certain degree so that venues come to understand what to expect and not think that they can keep poking around until you're not gonna you know right you it's don't it's a, expect this good luck finding it because we're all of this caliber or you know we'll, or if you do find it for this the times, quality you know. may not be the same right as you know somebody who's doing this as, yeah. as their livelihood as a and that that's where it doesn't come down to cockiness or greediness it no. comes down to sure you can you can do this but then you're wondering hmm well why don't i have this as a result it's because yeah you same with the musician you you can't practice one hour a week and then think that you're going to be here as far as you know performance right you have to put that time and that energy into it and you have to know your worth you have to know your value mm -hmm. and you have to stick to that don't let someone it comes back to what i've experienced in the past if you do not speak up on your own value nobody's going to do that for you right and within the community you have to speak up for each other sure stand together Sorry, that's embarrassing. Sorry, I, um, I can cut it out. The, the Harry Potter game came out today, so I'm oh. trying to get a, a copy of it. All right, that's ridiculous cut. No, I'm just kidding. All right, okay. So um, what I would like to point out, a couple of things. One, I believe that um, setting a standard amongst yourselves and possibly keeping that up in your communications as well. <laughs> Excuse me kind of reinforces the idea that this this is a this is a standard for uh, an industry and yes. I think that a lot of times people don't realize uh, to your credit like you were saying bands are businesses I mean it's a passion you know it's a and sometimes it's a labor of love but at the end of the day gigging bands true gigging bands are businesses and they need to be treated as such you you schedule things in advance you agree upon a fee, uh, upon an allotted time, um, like you said, load in and breaking down. These things are all necessary, and um, it's something that it needs to be a standard. It doesn't have to be written in stone, but it needs to be well known. And I think it's important that bands stay in touch with each other and network so that they all realize that, hey, we're, we're on the same page. It's not just me or it's not just five of us. Everybody else is our scabs crossing the picket line, so to speak, but um, it, it kind of creates this atmosphere where th this is the new standard, you know, and uh, for the bands that are serious and the venues that are serious, if you want to work with a serious band, vice versa, then this is what you'll be expected to do, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's gouging, you know, I don't think it's extortion, I think it's just, it's a, it's a respectable business practice on both parties. And you, know? you just, you hit the nail on the head with that, it's respect. Yeah. It's respect. Are you going to go into um, a bar and their drink is $10? Mm -hmm. Are you going to negotiate with them? Right. Are you going to tell them, no, I'm sorry. That, or if you go to a restaurant and you order this, I mean, you could 
go to McDonald's and get a burger for a dollar. Sure. Or you could go to Ruth's Chris and get a really good steak. Mm -hmm. Are you going to go in there and tell them that's not what it's worth? And then tell them, okay, well, instead of this, I want to pay this. Yeah. You know, there's a certain amount of room for negotiation when it comes to, you know, the music industry because it's there. There's there's always ways to, okay, all right, well, this is what we're worth. So, okay, all right, if that's what, because I always tell people, we'll try and work within your budgets. So yeah. this is what, okay, well, maybe not a four-hour show. Maybe maybe we can provide you with a two-hour show. And then, you know, if you need some background music or something, you know, we, we, we try, we, we pride ourselves as a band on trying to be accommodating within reason. Sure. Because, like you said, at the end of the day, um, if you don't know your worth and you don't give yourself what you value, nobody's going to give that to you. It is, it's, it's a business. Yeah. I think more importantly, though, sometimes you need to instill a perspective in people. And like you said, they wouldn't expect to walk into a restaurant and negotiate with the waiter for the price of the burger. But for some reason, people feel like they can with bands. Exactly. And that's why I think it's important to treat a band like a business. You've got to frame it in some sort of societal norm or perspective to where people understand that there's a, there's a standard of communication here. And it's not going to be casual or on the slick or under the radar yeah. or any of those things. It's going to be, you know, um, above board, yeah. you know. And I also believe that um, during COVID, I wanted to back it up just for a second because you talked about what your band did as a result of COVID and what you could see in the neighbors that wanted to hear this, you know. Um, it was a sink or swim moment for a lot of people during COVID and uh, it was a fork in the road. A lot of bands, I should say. Um, you could tell by the time the veil lifted who was hard at work that whole time and who just kind of called it quits. Um, it was the genesis for so many new albums, even solo efforts from yeah. from players that before just played in maybe five different bands wherever they could catch a gig or a regular gig, you know. And all of a sudden they're coming out with uh, the home office sessions or something, you know. Yeah. It becomes their first album, which is inspiring, you know. And uh, the other end of the uh, spectrum, they, they just kind of uh, disbanded temporarily, but albeit permanently, you know. And sadly, um, unfortunately, some people had to. Yeah. Because if your livelihood is, I mean, I heard it from so many musicians, musicians that, you know, I have to go get a regular job now. Sure. Like, and then once that happens, transitioning back, it's just, I mean, it, it's disheartening. It, you know, it's, it's, soul crushing when Absolutely. you found something that you love to do and that's what you do and then that gets taken away from you and you have to go back then it's okay well okay well maybe i'll just some people got stuck back in that you know in that in that carousel of of regular work and sure. like you said though but it's what do you do with that time yeah we were given something that was so devastating and detrimental but also everything has can have a silver lining to it. And it's sure. you've been given all this time as well. What are you gonna do with it? For example, did you ever did your band ever have any experience with a live stream? <laughs> no. There was there was no reason to, right? You were a Correct. live gigging band. Yep. But then you kind of found a caveat or a workaround and um, made it work for you, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was interesting to see venues get involved as well. Um, I think a lot of people were watching, you know, what the hell is festing in place and Things of this nature, you know, like what are we supposed to do? They're telling us how to conduct ourselves in our societal lives, but not our passions, you know? It was not easy. No. Um, 
So, and I told you I was going to uh, ask you about this. Uh, for people that haven't heard you, maybe you could discuss your style and also dissect between or make the distinction between uh, the covers and the originals and where you're at with that right now. Um, so as far as what we do, like I said at the beginning, when we all got together, it was we want to do something different. And I say different, you know, we still do covers, but it's we put our own spin on it. Just because that's how it sounds when you hear it on the radio, mm -hmm. does not mean that's how you need to play it. Um, and that's not knocking any musician, any band, or anything like that, but if I want to hear something on the radio, I'm going to turn on the radio or, you know, and I can hear that. Yeah. I, I love hearing how, like, um, I love now, now, so our drummer is, um, heavy he, like he's got a lot of heavy metal influence um i did not like that i didn't i mean i guess i was indifferent to that type of music okay until wasn't your he, calling huh it wasn't your calling no it wasn't <laughs> i love blues okay. i liked some country i liked you know just, i was just kind of all over the board but that screaming music i just wasn't right and now like when i pulled up just now like pierce the veil was screaming in my car mm -hmm. um i love hearing how someone takes a song that they've heard from an artist and they transform it into what they hear or their version of it sure um and some of these metal bands how they'll take they'll take pop music they'll take britney spears they'll take nsync and they transform it into something something completely different mm -hmm. and it brings a new twist it brings a new excitement and so that's kind of what we like to do. Mm -hmm. um, we mash up songs. We so I take that blues influence that I love so much because I feel music needs to have a soul. If you have one tonality through an entire show, you become background. Sure. Music. And that's my opinion. You know, everybody has their own way of doing things. It becomes background. Mm -hmm. I want you to feel what's in here and what's in here when I sing. When our musicians play, I want you to hear and feel what they're hearing and they're feeling. Um, and I hope that that comes across. One of my very favorite songs that we do, and we normally do at the end of, sh at the end of a show because I'm burnt out, uh, House of the Rising Sun mm -hmm. from New Orleans. It means something to me, but we take it and I put every bit of soul and every bit of passion and we throw a rock spin on it. Johnny Be Good, at, by the end of it, we have double bass in the background um, and it turns into just this rocked out party forward so we take we take songs and even if you've heard them before um there is a whole new experience that you're going to get music yeah. is an experience yeah and for each person it's a unique experience for us even if it's something you know we're going to take it and we're going to make it our experience and mm -hmm. share that with you um so i always tell people the whole show is a sing-along it's songs that you hear that necessarily you don't hear at every show yeah but when we start singing it you're going to know every word yeah um like we we um do gangsta's paradise and uh, lenny kravitz fly away and we mix them together oh wow um, okay <laughs> we we like when you come to a show by the time you leave you go whoa that was fun a unique experience a unique experience not just that but life sucks <laughs> life is hard yeah. nobody nobody said being adult was this draining 
Sure. So at least for a couple hours. And that's why we try and not break that magic yeah. when we take a break or, you know, we try not to take too many breaks or, you know, um, for just a couple hours, leave all the crap, leave all, sure. all the serious grown up, just leave it behind. You know, when I was little, I always wanted to dress up. And, uh, you know, I, I love, I had an obsession with Betty Boop when I was little. Loved Betty Boop. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, when I got older, I loved Betty Page and how just beautiful and classic. And it, I literally morphed that into the grown-up version of, like, what little kid me yeah. would have um, would have wanted. And it's just, you know what? Life is hard. You don't have to take it serious every single moment. Yeah. So when you come to our shows, we include you like family. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that are like, I don't know how, and I'm so, so thankful and so grateful. We have almost 5,000 followers on our page. Okay. Um, and every person that shows up, we try and greet you like family. Sure. Hey, like in between sets, before shows, after shows, you know, we interact this is this has become our family because again life sucks yeah enough <laughs> that let's have a night where you know when you come you're gonna feel like you're with friends and family yeah you're going to be welcome and accepted uh it's another thing that that we are really big on we will not play a venue we will not play a place where well, we've had some people that hey you know such and such i know this is this kind of are we going to be welcome there am i going to stick out like a sore thumb i don't I don't care what nationality, I don't care what race, I don't care what religious beliefs, um, what um, identity, you know, you associate with. Every, if everyone's not welcome where we're playing, we don't play there. Sure. Um, it's a place of peace and of welcome. Yeah. And where you can just come and just be yourself and be goofy and silly. And I dance around like an idiot on stage. Yeah. And it, I hope it's infectious. And when I see everybody else out there dancing, I'll get out there in the crowd and dance with people too. You know, if it's your birthday, you know, we're celebrating with you. If it's your wedding, we're celebrating with you. If it's your divorce party, we are absolutely <laughs> celebrating with you. Yeah. Um, everybody needs a break from everyday life. And that is where, when Tony said, we want to do something different, yeah. something that stands out, something that's not like everything else out there. Um, this is become such a family and such a community. Um, before we started rolling, you and I were talking about the idea of uh, originals. Yes. And uh, maybe you could explain that again to everyone else. Um, so from the very beginning, especially during COVID, I, I, I guess I always wrote poetry when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that's carried over whenever I'm having a hard time. I find I write from tragedy, from sadness more than, you know, I think a lot of people do. I've had a great day. Yeah, I think that's a My steak card. was cooked perfect today, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's more, you know, those heart-wrenching moments that I feel if they build up too much, it can consume you. Yeah. Um, plus I'm super ADD and part of being like neurodivergent and ADD is you obsess over things. Yeah. And part of a way to combat that is you write it down. You know, same with, we were talking earlier about writing down our entire schedules. If it's up here, it's a jumble. If I write it down, suddenly it comes into focus, it's more clear. So I've always just written. And um, uh, through COVID, through everything, I've just, I started writing more. 
and we have started working on some originals um, and thankfully we've gotten to the point where we are so busy we are so booked that it's become hard to take that time to set aside for that sure um, because every time we're getting together we're like how can we make the show better what can we do to bring more stage presence what can we do to have a more full sound and then now that we've added a fifth member um, Adam to the band uh, he started off being, being a vocalist yeah thanks um, we um, we can come back to that if you want, or unless you want me to. No, that's cool. Um, we we had him come out to a show, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, let's get him up on stage for a few songs." Yeah. And then we started talking. He's like, "Yeah, my dad's, you know, this keyboardist, and he grew up with that. So his dad has been sitting him down teaching him, and he I have never seen anyone pick up something so it's in his quickly. Blood. Yeah. It's in his blood. He, like you said, like music as an influence coming up. You can he can play rhythm guitar, which. Tony has just been so excited about because now he can take some of those lead, you know, licks and do some kind of, and he can do rhythm. Yeah. So now we have uh, backup vocals, lead male vocalist, keyboard, nice. and um, rhythm guitar. So we kind of hit the jackpot with him, sure. and he fits right in with our little group so well. Uh, that was that was our hesitation. Was we have such this, this magic? Right. How do you bring somebody into that? Uh, we have no drama. We have no. Well, how do you protect it? I suppose you know. Yeah. I want to, and that's literally what I've told them. I, like, I want to protect it, but I want to yeah. bring some money in. Uh, same way with, I would love to get a band manager at this point. Right now, I'm kind of doing all. I want to go back to just enjoying working on my originals. Right. And I think part of that is going to be um, getting a band manager, so that way we can work on our originals. Because that's the next step that I want us to take is working on our originals originals yeah. to get to that point yeah. I'm gonna have to hand over the everyday to a band manager sure. and trust someone with that trying to find someone is proved difficult um, but uh, that's kind of the next step once I do that then I think we're gonna focus a lot more on our originals and they definitely have a rock blue sound to them okay um, Tony with uh, our guitar player with downfall he um, he plays in a rock cover band as well and has played many he's I can't I can't overstate how talented he is mm -hmm. um, oh God, all of our guys and they bring in our so many different um, unique sounds our bass player he loves those 80s you know those big bold songs um, and then um, Adam and Chris. Chris has that metal influence. Adam has that like 90s rock and then I have my blues. So I feel like rock is going to be a very, very big influence on those songs. Yeah. But you're going to feel that passion, that that soul yeah. um, from that way deep down in your gut that makes you hurt when you hear it, but kind of makes you feel. Um, that's what we want to impart on those, on those songs. And that's me speaking. You know, everybody's going to have, have their own input on it as well. Right now, what I would like for, because I've written so many things, I think it's easier, kind of, from what I've seen, because I've given them words. I'm like, here, write music to this. I think it would be a little bit easier, honestly, to have them write music and me put words. Yeah, usually it's the other way around. Yeah. Because I've tried it the other way, and it's, I'll write 17 verses. Yeah. <laughs> and the song just kind of goes on and on. I kind of, you know, need a little bit more of those parameters to work around. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, my personal opinion but that's the way i would do it i think uh the keys 
or the notes anyway, um, they give you a vibe, you know, there's a lot of sharps in there that maybe you're a little aggravated, you know, a lot of flats and maybe it's been a, a nicer, more pleasant evening, you know. But, so I know um, Tony said he's, he's written some stuff yeah. and um, I know right now our uh, guitarist and our uh, drummer have been talking about it. Mm -hmm. So once we get Adam more assimilated, because right now our focus is incorporating keys where we've had they to yeah. compensate in, with more bass or more guitar right. where we can have more diversity now once we kind of reconfigure all those songs and then now yeah. we go oh well we can do this and this and this sure. um uh like one of my favorite songs is do i look worried by tedeschi trucks uh -huh. um i love the tedeschi trucks band um and actually got to meet uh susan tedeschi last year and that was uh i don't get starstruck very easily right okay. but <laughs> i met her and i just kind of stood there and just went oh. <laughs> And so what happened to finding your voice and uh, all that stuff? Chris yeah. said he was standing there and he um he said, I just heard you yell out fatty batty. And he's like, What was the question? She goes, Oh, well, you know, you think they asked us to go hang out with them downtown New Orleans. Yeah. And I was just so starstruck that I uh, she's like they were like, Yeah, she plays music and they're like, Oh, you play music? And at this point I'm still holding her hand because I haven't figured out how to let go. <laughs> and she's like, well, What band do you play with? I'm like, in my head I'm going all right, you forgot the name of your band. You forgot the name of your band. And it just kind of blurted it out. Hit you hard, huh? And it was one of those moments where I see somebody on stage pouring their whole heart and soul out the way that I try to. Yeah. Definitely one of my role models. And it was just one of those surreal moments where it was like, I just, I didn't, I didn't know how to react. You still take it in even after it's all over. Oh, you're still I, I got the set list. It, you know? yeah. I got the set list. I, I collect, um, uh, set list from concerts. Okay. So far, I have Jerry Cantrell and um, Tedeschi Trucks and um, uh, some Forty One. I just I have a whole whole mix of uh, Kaleo is another one of my right now. I don't okay. know if you've heard his music. No, no. Um, Kaleo and Bishop Briggs. If kind of my music influence, mm -hmm. that would be the best to kind of pinpoint. It's blues, rock. Kaleo is a um, it's an Icelandic band, and they are just absolutely phenomenal and got mm. to see them in concert and that's that's where you you, you take your influence and it, you see like what makes you move like that's what you want to impart on the people that sure. you put on shows from too hey yeah. i want to move people like that sure i kind of feel like it's like dreams and we're sponges and we take in all of these different elements throughout the courses of our lives and whatever drips out the bottom is our own you know that yep. own version of things you know the same goes with with um music and inspiration i think but um well so that's awesome um i, I appreciate your time thank you for sitting down and talking to me thank you so much for coming out here i Absolutely. really appreciate it yeah okay thank you hey this is levi from miss led to be child in 1016. look man we all start off as jam bands get together we push our souls all throughout the speakers man simple as that the connections that we form with our crowds and following is nothing like any other We'd love to have you back. Click that old button, show your support, or you can check us out at Buy Me a Coffee. Black Backlash? Black, 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 black,